New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Well, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We are at episode 503. I'm the host, uh, Paul Spain. And with me today, Brett Roberts. Great to catch up again, Brett. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's good to see you again, too, in this virtual world that we now inhabit. Yes, yes, it's... Uh it is a little bit different. I must say, I, I do enjoy uh, sitting in the podcast New Zealand studio and, and catching up with uh, with you and, and some of our other more regular uh, guests, uh, but it's not to be today. So you're in uh, you're in Tauranga? I am in a place called Tapuna, just outside Tauranga, yeah. Very nice, very nice. Well, you're um, you're probably in a in a slightly freer world than uh, than some of us <laughs> further, further north. Uh, so I hope yeah. you're enjoying that freedom, but uh, but behaving yourself a little bit. <laughs> it's not much to do, man. <laughs> um, now, lots to lots to talk about, but I'm you know I'm especially keen on delving into what's going on with uh, Apple and their App Store. Uh, there's been a it looks like a bit of a bit of drama going on there with uh, with Fortnite uh, with WordPress a few other topics though too uh, SpaceX and their uh, Starlink uh, satellites we've got some uh, data in now around the sort of uh, speeds that uh, you know people are, are getting from a test perspective um, Tesla also uh, maybe coming under a little bit of pressure there from I don't know I'd call them modders uh, people wanting to uh, hack their Hack their vehicles a little bit and uh, and and get some better uh, results that uh, Tesla might actually expect you to pay money for. We've got from New Zealand the uh, winners of the uh, High Tech Awards, and that took place as a online event uh, on Friday night. Yep. And uh, the NZX, which has been under a denial of service uh, attack, and uh, that one's certainly been you know creating a bit of a, a, a media. Uh, frenzy certainly, you know, from my perspective, anyway, I've had umpteen calls today uh, from different media outlets trying to understand, you know, what is a denial of service attack and uh, and and what does that mean. So we'll we'll have a bit of a chat about that. And uh, early this morning, Fitbit announced their sort of next next range of uh, devices. So um, let's let's jump in now. First up, um, SpaceX. There was a, a bit of uh, attention earlier on in the year, uh, Brett, around the uh, the visual pollution that these uh, satellites are, are creating. So I wanted to um, just hear your thoughts on that. But first up, um, the big headline that caught my attention is that we're now uh, seeing uh, coming up online people's speed test results through using um, SpaceX's new satellites. Now, um, for those that don't know, SpaceX are putting up, um, an, I mean, an incredible in a constellation of satellites over the next, what, you know, five, five years or so. Um, so far, they've launched about 600, uh, but the, the ultimate, Aim is as many thousands uh, of these satellites. In fact, I you know I think the total number that they're they're planning to put up, um, you know, would actually dwarf the total number of satellites uh, that were 
in you know in the sky uh, before they began this this project. So yeah. it's it's I mean really is an an incredibly um, you know fascinating undertaking. Um, and what's different about these satellites is um, you know they're sitting uh, much lower, so low Earth orbits. They're talking about in the range of five hundred and seventy to five hundred and uh, five hundred and forty to five hundred and seventy uh, kilometers from the Earth, compared to um, I guess the traditional satellites that we've seen for internet access uh, that can be as far as um, thirty-five thousand kilometers away. So an absolute you know fraction of of distance, and what that does is improves the the latency. So the time that it takes for a, a communication to get uh, from you to the destination and back. So you know that's one one of the big issues with the traditional uh, satellite communications. For you know for those that are in rural location and, and use one of these things, uh, you try to do a you know some sort of a, a Zoom call or a Teams call or a Skype call. Um, you know the the delay for your voice to get to the other end would be you know much like what a toll call was like uh, you know thirty or forty <laughs> years ago. Good analogy. You know, you've got a you know one one second delay, uh, and of course, for anyone wanting to do any gaming, well, uh, you know, you'd be uh, you'd be sh- sort of shot to pieces if you were, uh, you know, playing that 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 type of game before you could respond because of the delays. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's fascinating to hear. Yeah, the the very low latency. Um, and you know Elon Musk had said they were targeting sort of you know twenty uh, twenty milli- milliseconds in terms of the latency. Um, the speed test results uh, that I saw shared online were between thirty one and, and ninety four milliseconds. So you know really all of them under a, under a tenth of a, of a second. Um, and then speed test results where upload speeds varied from I think the you know the slowest one was uh, about four point five. Uh, and up to about uh, 17 megabits per second, uh, and the download speeds were in the range of uh, 35 to uh, 60 uh, megabits per second. So, you know, fairly fairly reasonable uh, performance, and you know, it it needs to be if they're uh, you know going to deliver something that uh, that really. Uh, as a replacement for other other you know types of of rural broad, broadband, I suppose, which is you know is really likely to be their their big uh, target. You would imagine. Yeah, look, and the, I'm really torn on this to be honest. So they, you talk about those numbers there. I'm on a rural broadband um, or connection uh, via DSL at the moment. We don't get fibre for another two years, I think. Um, well, at least you're getting it. Yeah, one day. I'm crossing my fingers. Um, <laughs> we get like. 19 megs down and about one and a half up. So Starlink sounds good so far. I've just got some numbers here. They've got 655 in orbit so far, and they're licensed by the FCC to launch 30,000. They're building six a day. Um, And I think, um, you know, so from the point of view of transforming not just the internet, but actually the telecommunications world, I think it's one of the most massive things we've ever seen. That's a typical Elon Musk move, right? You know, one of those... Um, he doesn't do anything by halves, that man. So, you know, I would imagine if you're a telco right now and all of a sudden you're literally only five years away from every part of the entire globe covered by incredible bandwidth, what does that mean for the Sparks and the Telstras of this world? I'm sure that must be impactful in some way. So I would imagine there'll be lawsuits starting soon. Someone somewhere will instigate a lawsuit. The um, visual pollution thing is obviously a biggie. I don't know if you've seen them going over at night. We've got very, very low 
light pollution out here in the wonderful country. Um, and you can spot the satellites toing and froing all over the place in the space station and that the Starlink satellites, the early ones that were launched without the anti-reflective coating, um, stand out like the proverbial. They are yeah, okay. horrible, horrible things. Not just visually um, light spectrum-wise, but actually apparently radio telescope-wise, they, they cause a lot of interference as well. So um, I believe they're using anti-reflective coatings now. Uh, maybe they're using Vanta Black or something. Have you ever seen that stuff? That's pretty cool. The blackest black paint. Yeah. Don't look that up. That's really yeah. cool stuff. Cool. Um, you know, so that might might fix the problem slightly. Um, for yeah, it sounds like that, they've had some improvement, but it's it's not thirty thousand know, satellites is a lot, right? I don't know what that means in the in in the available bit of sky that you could see, but it must be you know a number, a, you know, a decent um, size number. So uh, yeah, like I said, I'm torn. I think from a technology perspective and bringing the internet to millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people that that don't have it now. It's an incredible thing. Disrupting the existing internet infrastructure and tel- telco infrastructure, it's an incredible thing. Um, screwing up everybody's ability to get a telescope out in the backyard and look at things, I hope that's not such a good thing. So, It's a typical Elon Musk thing, right? There's always a flip side to everything he does. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, well, we, we hope that uh, that will end up in a, in a good state and... Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to read. Yeah, what I saw was that they had an initial uh, twelve thousand satellites approved by the um, the FCC, and then they were looking to do an additional thirty thousand. Oh, um, yeah. That that applied to uh, yeah the Federal Communications Commission um, and the International Telecommunications Union. So if if yeah if they get that, then you you know you're potentially talking. Yeah, well, that adds up to forty-two thousand, which is <laughs> a lot of satellites. Is, is, is kind of nuts to get your yeah. head around. Um, and but you know that even just the technology that they've put together to be able to launch that quantity and then you know have them all sort yeah. of dash out and position themselves in the in the in the right uh, you know space and and orbits and so on uh, is really really incredible. And you know I think it, it's exciting to see. The, the work that they're doing, you know, alongside some of the work that's uh, that, that's happening here from a New Zealand front, as far as uh, you know, space is is concerned. I, I think the um, it'll be interesting to see how governments react to it because I'm I'm sure that there are many governments out there that won't be happy with internet access being provided to everybody in their nation. Um, if you can stick radio transmitters and receivers on them, you can stick cameras on them. Low Earth orbit, you can get great photos with pretty cheap. You know, probably could do a, a good deal with Logitech. Um, or someone in, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so, yeah, and you, you know, you think about um, those nations that like to really control what goes on in terms of their yeah. uh, their internet. And yeah, I can. Uh, yeah, China, I mean, I'm, yeah just, I'm, I'm just trying to think what's what's going to happen to uh, Tesla's uh, Chinese, uh, you know, factory. Um, <laughs> That's when, right. When the when you know the. Uh, the Communist Party recognises, uh, you know, hold on, Elon's in, involved with uh, providing internet access throughout uh, China in a in a in a manner yeah. that doesn't uh, doesn't suit them. So yeah, that, and, that's and a even the next, story the next step on is, you know, the the organisation um, authorising all of these is the Federal Communications Commission. It's an American organisation. Yep. And so so just the geopolitical stuff in all of this is is absolutely fascinating. Watch this one play out. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, now on to on to Apple and look, you know, Apple and Google have had this incredible uh, position in terms of generating revenue over the last few years, and this has helped uh, Apple get to this uh, two trillion dollar market cap that they've uh, they've recently. Hit. And it seems it seems to me like it was only a few months ago we were talking about that you know this incredible uh, you know point where a technology company or a, you know a company in general um, would hit this one trillion dollar market cap, um, but you know suddenly we're you know that's that's been doubled and we're, we're talking a two trillion dollar um, you know valuation uh, on the stock exchange. And when you look at that, you know, a key component of that, of course, is the 30% cut that Apple take uh, on sales through uh, the App Store. And whether that's for iPhone, uh, for the Mac or for iPad uh, OS, um, I mean, predominantly it, it does relate to uh, apps being sold for uh, the iPhone for iOS. Um, but, yeah, this this ability for them to, to take such a huge uh, percentage uh, of the sale, it you know I can see why you know Fortnite you know are pushing back. You know you you I you know I don't know how much difference it would make to them in terms of their sales if they could uh, sell their subscriptions and and so on at. 30% less or even 20% less uh, or if you know how that you know might play out for uh, uh, for you know different technology companies and you know of course Google are in a similar uh, position uh, with the Play Store on on Android what's uh, what's your take on what's going on here Brett because we've got that one and and then alongside it was the story of uh, uh, WordPress whose uh, app was blocked from uh, they were they basically weren't able to make the changes that some changes they wanted to make on their uh, WordPress app for uh, for iOS um, because they were put under this this pressure uh, and and ultimately I think you know they, that that's been worked through and, and Apple have actually sort of stood down but there was this pressure for them to start selling their varying uh, services for word you know like wordpress hosting through the app and and giving apple its uh, its 30% uh, cut which uh, you know wasn't wasn't something that they were actually and uh, you know intending to do um, so yeah it's, it's an i just think a a very interesting time in apple's history uh, how this plays out so yeah look for for what it's worth speaking as a former employee of a convicted monopolist uh, <laughs> microsoft um I, I think this will be interesting, right? Um, and it's, I don't know whether it's so much the how much more Fortnite users would there be if there wasn't a 30%, you know, clipping of the ticket going on on the way through. It's more the power that Apple wields to turn on or off uh, anybody who doesn't um, um, play by their terms and conditions, which are their terms and conditions, uh, and which they can tweak and tune to whatever sort of effect they want. And I can... You know, if you think about it at a, at a kind of a high-level view, um, I think at some point they will reach a point where the government will look at it and, and see them almost as a utility. You know, it's, it is a monopoly. It, you know, whilst they might not be a convicted monopolist, I believe the law in the States is if you have more than 35% market share, you are technically a monopoly. Um, they're certainly a monopoly on top of their own platform. Um and I, you know, I suspect at some point they will need to come to some sort of arrangement with the feds 
about how they wield that power. And, and at the moment, they can probably feel that out by changing a few things here and there and seeing how the, the feds react. I'm sure they'll come knocking on their door one day, but, but it could take a while. I mean, you look at, um, you know, Facebook, who, who have got away with some of the most egregious stunts and changes and other things over the years, and really not a lot's happened. Um, it could take a while, and I think part of the problem here is the classic thing of, I think the regulators, there's a horrible generalisation, but I'll say it anyway, the regulators... Um, don't comprehend the nuances of of brand new things, um, as well as the people at the helm of those brand new things do. You know, I think I think Tim Cook is a far more uh, benign business leader than someone like Mark Zuckerberg is, who I, I think is just pure evil. Um, I use Facebook, but he's still evil. Um, um, so so I think. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how how all of that plays out o- over time. I think the Fed the Feds won't be able to stay away from it. At some point, they will have to get involved. Um, but at the moment, I think you're just seeing the signalling going on. You know, what if we do this? What if we do that? How quickly do they react? Well, they don't. No, maybe we can get away with this. Maybe we shouldn't do that. You know, they're feeling it all out, and it's all brand new territory. And this is one of the interesting things I found when I was at Microsoft. Um, you know, when they were going through all of their monopoly stuff, no one had been there before. There was a lot of good arguments on both sides of the thing about, you know, Microsoft's a monopoly and they're doing all of these terrible things with the browser, but there was no prior art. There was no prior case files to go through and go, what did we do in the 1800s when someone brought a new operating system and a browser out? Oh, we didn't have those. This is all a bit hard, really. <laughs> so there's that, you know, the, the, you know, the whole thing with the regulators trying to keep up. And then, of course, just the pace of legislation, you know, just trying to keep up. The le- even if you've got regulators that understand what's going on and are actively involved, making sure the legislation can keep up is tricky as well. You know, and they, you see those things, they drag them in front of Senate hearings and everyone does this for a day and then they all go home and have a big laugh, I think. So <laughs> I'm not holding my breath for anything to happen tomorrow. Yeah, look, look I, th- I mean, I think uh, governments naturally tend to operate on a, you know, reasonably slow manner. And yeah, the ability to have the right sort of legislation around these things is is a challenge, and and certainly you know takes time. Um, you know how this one will play out. It does, it does sort of you know seem inevitable that there there will be something wrapped around this in, in time. And yes. uh, you know you you can just imagine if a government deemed well, look, it's a you know it's a digital digital goods you're selling them on mass. Um. Yep. Yeah, we think five percent cut would be fair. Yeah. Um. You know what that what that would do to uh, to Apple as a business. So you know where they would where they would you know ultimately land up. I you know I think would be open for a, a huge amount of debate. Uh. But I'm I'm very interested just to just to see you know, what comes out of this and 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 certainly yeah. uh, Fortnite have um. You know, have really poked the giant here, and uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's going to be, I think, a lot of money being uh, being spent now with uh, with lawyers. And it looks like uh, you know, Fortnite have have had a um, you know something in their favour today, so they're not going to get completely kicked out of the Apple yeah. uh, ecosystem. I uh, saw so Microsoft jumped in on that discussion. Um, <laughs> you know. Be, be, you know, because of the the, the epics, um, you know, yeah. what the what the impact would be on on some of their games and so on. So, um, yeah, lot lots and lots of uh, uh, people and organisations are going to be uh, impacted on this potentially. So, 
Uh, we'll certainly be, be following it with interest, but I, I don't yeah. imagine we're going to see a, uh, a conclusion on it in, a, in take, a short space of time. It'll take a while to play, play out, right? But I'm, I'm sure that Tim Cook's on the phone to Steve Barmer each night going, tell me again what I shouldn't do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. were the scrubs you made? Oh, that's a big long list. Let's not make those ones. Yeah, yeah. Who are the good lawyers? <laughs> Well, they're, they're um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of money sort of, you know, spent in that yeah, track, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, my um, gosh, yes. Now, on to, uh, on to Tesla. Um, now, you highlighted this one. I've been r- reading about it, um, you know, I think maybe over the over the weekend. Um, you know, Tesla versus versus the, um, the modders. And, look, if you've got, um, you know, certain uh, – I guess it varies from vehicle to vehicle what the options are that are available. Um, but because the, the you know the Tesla's cars are you know effectively uh, you know a piece of technology on wheels, uh, there you know there there is so much that can be done. And look, you know most modern cars have a have a you know a computing um, component yep. to them. And so you know you want to adjust your engine and you know adjust different things. Then uh, you know th- those things are computer controlled. Now what what Tesla have done have uh, you know has been very much to uh, you know give you access to varying uh, you know software uh, components that you pay a, an added premium for. And for instance, their so-called uh, full self-drive uh, capability, which is you know, at this stage, the you know closest you can get as a general consumer to an autonomous vehicle. Uh, that's something that you you know you pay a, a reasonably high uh, price for, and in, in terms of what you get back for it at the moment, I would I would suggest. Um, and look, you know, in that case, they've they've indicated look the price is going to go up over time as as the features get better. Um, but also, they've come in with with other options that they didn't announce when they you know they sold um, they sold the cars. Uh, you know, for instance, with uh, with some of the Model Threes, you can uh, pay a uh, I think it's in New Zealand five hundred New Zealand dollars to uh, turn on the uh, seat warming capability in the rear in the rear seats. Um, so when they first launched the Tesla Model Three, there was no mention that there was going to be any sort of um, uh, heating for the rear seats. Um, but to you know keep the manufacturer very simple, they they put them into all the cars. And it was just the higher end uh, models that would uh, would end ended up having that uh, turned on, and it and it actually came as a sort of a free just a free update option um, along the way. Um, and then you know as time went on, that that became uh, something, uh, and I think, and probably in the last six months or so that they've turned on for the um, you know the the lower end uh, Model Three vehicles. Now one of the options is a uh, two thousand US dollar acceleration uh, boost. And this is this is the one that's really sort of caught the attention, isn't it, Brett? Yeah, this is a this topic fascinates me because it's it depends. Are you a glass half full or glass half empty kind of person? Are they charging you more to add these things on, or charging you less to cripple them from the get go? Right, and that's you know you could argue that both of those. The answer is yes to both of those things, right? Um, but the the wonderful thing is Tesla truly understand value. You know, so if you think about um, just as an aside, there's a guy by the name of Tony Sieber, um, who is a bit of a guru on electric vehicles and solar energy. Um, and Callahan Innovation brought him into New Zealand a couple times when I was there. Um, he is the most fascinating guy to talk to about um, EVs and, you know, general, 
uh, but Tesla in particular. And um, and he was the first person I ever heard describe um, uh, Teslas or electrical vehicles, particularly Teslas, as iPads on wheels. Yes. And, and you know, you know, that's what they are. The the platform is a very common, you know, stock standard to a certain extent platform that they can change pretty easily. Um, and all the magic really comes through in the in the software. And Tesla grasped that way before all of the other car manufacturers did, way, way, way before, and have leveraged that to the help um, since. Um, it's not like changing software in cars to improve the performance is a new thing. You can buy new chips for Holden's and Ford's and all sorts of things. It voids the warranty. No one cares when they're doing it, you know. And some of them are thousands of dollars a pop, I understand. So it's been around for a while. Um, so I guess Tesla are just kind of going through the same thing that the large car manufacturers have been anyway. Um, but I think the thing, the reason I find this interesting is um, it's probably not hard to get in and figure that stuff out. You know, there are people that are hacking Teslas together from broken Teslas. There are people that are, you know, posting up all sorts of interesting stuff they've learned about the software. You know, I'm sure it's not 100% secure anyway because nothing is. I'm sure more and more of these things will get figured out, right? What what intrigues me, I hadn't heard the seat eater thing what else is there in these machines that we don't know yet that they can turn on you know or maybe even further down the track if you don't do something they can turn off i don't know but but i think that whole thing about it being it's it's a it's an ipad on wheels and that's how people need to think about it right yeah yeah very very much and uh, look they've done a great job at improving what you what you get over time so you know the the tesla i bought nearly a year ago has had so many things added to, added to it in terms of you know capabilities yeah i mean it is just so at odds with what is normal about buying a, a car uh to to see you know the car that you bought uh Im, you know improve on yeah. a, on a reasonably regular what basis incredible value thing right you know from the point of view the customer, what that does to cement your relationship with that car vendor. The best story I ever heard was the um, Tesla S that took a freeway off-ramp in the States and drove over a piece of reinforcing steel that came up through the floor pan and into the battery pack. Have you heard this story? So shorted the battery out and burnt the car out. What happened was Elon Musk started a blog, um, kind of a radical transparency thing, and he, he blogged about everything in their investigation into this car fire, what had caused it. And in the end, it basically turned out if you shove a piece of reinforcing steel into a battery pack, bad things might happen. There wasn't a lot they could do really in the design of the car. There wasn't any major faults with the design of the car. I understand they did improve the floor pan a bit, but what they did was they discovered if the car had been riding slightly higher or lower for the speed, I can't remember which one, it, it could have mitigated the the problem and so they rolled out a software update that updated all of that model of car to change the height that it was riding at at a given speed and and that that was the moment all the hair stood up on the back of my neck when i realized that you could make these massive changes to huge fleets of vehicles by pushing a red button on elon musk's desk yeah didn't that drag them all back into the place for a refit or anything you know so much has been embedded into the software which means you better be writing really 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 good software but um if you do need to make a change it it can be done quickly and and which means additional features can be added relatively easily which again going back to the value rant before that's the power right once you've got someone on that platform you know tesla cars are just a platform just like windows is mac is ios is you know android is um, keeping people stuck there by, by adding additional features and making it better all the time is a really powerful story. 
that I'm sure the other car manufacturers are scrambling to keep up with. Yeah, and look, it's exciting to see that that pressure on the, the whole sector and to see what that yields. But I guess you could say to a degree, car companies are a little bit like governments and they're, they're <laughs> used to very long sort of cycles in, yep. which, in which to do things. Yes. Uh, you know, like turning a very, very, very large uh, ship to change the way that they operate and, you know, without yep. losing what they are. And, you know, we've, we've seen varying sort of, you know, iterations of new cutting edge vehicles, but we haven't seen anything that sort of has really taken the, the same approach as uh, Tesla in, in terms of just, you know, building it To all their credit, you know. though, you have to admit that some car manufacturers are very good at doing sneaky things in software to make their emissions look better. <laughs> so they can move quickly and stealthily when they need to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I'm more for uh, the the vehicles that are actually doing something on the emissions front. But anyway, on to <laughs> on on to other other topics. The High Tech Awards, Brett. I think this this is a, an awesome event for uh, New Zealand that this you know comes around every year and really highlights some of the incredible things that are going on in New Zealand from a technology perspective. And it's not just the winners. There are so you know so many organisations who are involved in in some way and you know nominated and it's just great to uh, you know to catch a, a little bit of what's going on and to you know, sometimes recognise these firms that we don't necessarily realise exactly, uh, you know, what, the, what they're up to and the great things that they're, uh, that they're doing. Uh, Brett, were there any, uh, you know, particular ones out of the, the awards this year that, uh, that, that stood out to you? Oh, now that's an excellent question. That's put me right on the spot. Um, there were, sure, no, shall I run through who the... Well, no, what I was going to say was all of them. You know, like it just, it, it's it's not until you see something like this that brings it all into one place that you realise how much incredible um, innovation is genuinely happening in New Zealand. There's just some amazing uh, businesses out there. You know, you and I were talking before we started recording. Um, I spent some time at Callahan Innovation about five years ago, and I'm doing a little bit of work for them um, at the moment. And it's just been amazing coming back into it and just seeing how many clever companies there are in this country um, doing some genuinely world-leading stuff in a lot of cases. And um, I think it's always good. And this is one of the things I love about the High Tech Awards. These guys have just done, and, and uh, women have just done an amazing job of bringing all that to the forefront um, and showcasing it in the most incredible way, even more so now given you know where we're at with lockdown and you know having to do things virtually and other things um and just reminding us of of the amazing stuff that's going on in in new zealand every single day of the week i think it's a really good feel good thing makes me proud really does i'm uh, inspired by the the many things that are going on and you know i think it's important that we try and share more of it and we that that's the kind of part of the you know the, I guess the, the flow on from the successes as we want each success to inspire a whole bunch more successes and and you know more innovation and and exciting things ahead so yeah really uh, really pleasing to see I'll run I'll run through a few of them the big winner the high-tech company of the year um, Serco now you know their their situation at, you know as a company that is focused on on managing travel and and travel expenses must be 
somewhat difficult right now. I'm I'm sure, but you know, I know that they've got very, uh, you know, very smart people working working on things. But the current state of travel around the world, you know, must put them under some some pressure. But yeah, great great to see them winning. Uh, we got Red Shield as high tech emerging company of the year. Cortex High Tech Award, uh, High Tech Emerging Company of the Year, um, Red Shield. They're really a company I've been thinking for, uh, they've been on the list for a long time. We, we really need to uh, have on the podcast and, and probably most, you know, most of those that have, that have won this year are in that category where if we haven't spoken to them, then, you know, it's probably high time we did. And for um, those who maybe we have featured in the past, it's, a, it's a, a reminder to have a look at what they're up to. So that'll certainly be my goal over the next little little while is, is to see which of those, you know, would be worthwhile having on the New Zealand Tech podcast to, uh, uh, to, to hear some of their, uh, their stories. Inspiring individual of the year, uh, Dr. Michelle Dickinson. Yep. Uh, so that's that's really cool. Dawn Aerospace, who we've had a few mentions recently, uh, there as the high tech startup company of the year. And I mean, what what they're doing in terms of these space planes uh, looks fascinating. So that that's definitely one we'll be uh, we'll be interested in delving into. The most innovative high tech creative technology solution uh, you imagine. And I think it, it's it's been a while since we've had any. Uh, discussion with them so a whole bunch of uh, of stories there really that uh, that that need to be told and i think the nz high tech awards does you know a great job of finding really those that are uh, that are leading the way in new zealand now more than ever we want to uh, appreciate what they're doing and um, you know make sure we get those stories out there so yeah look out for that on some future episodes now also on the uh, the home front has been this big uh, denial of service attack brett that uh, <laughs> the, uh, the the new zealand stock exchange the nzx has been uh, has been under and I've had a bunch of calls from media today, so the radio and and, and TV and whatnot, to try and you know, get a little bit of under, understanding on what a denial of service attack is. Now, I think you know probably our uh, our listeners will be you know pretty well up with the play on what this in, involves. But just as a you know, I guess a, a quick summary: denial of service at, attack tends to relate to a uh, an organisation's uh, online assets, their their web servers or you know whatever it is that they've they've got in terms of uh, services being hit by just an incredible flood of traffic so it might be that you know they're, they're geared up to normally handle maybe a thousand visitors to their website at once um, but under a, a distributed denial of service attack uh, you know maybe they're being hit by uh, you know a million computers trying to uh, trying to hit them at one time and uh, you know the the unfortunate reality is we're we're in this world where this online extortion happens and and so there will be somewhere sitting in the world somebody controlling probably a, a botnet a whole lot of uh, computers that have been compromised with mal- malware and will be having those computers hit the NZX and there will be probably something along the lines of well if you pay us X amount of money, then uh, then we will stop, and uh, it's a it's a pretty horrible position for any organisation to be in. And I you know, I guess there's there's probably a, a few perspectives you could uh, you could take on this. Brett, how how do you feel? Is is this something that uh, is the is the fault of? And and look, we don't have all the details, of course, but is somebody at fault locally, or is this just the reality of the world that we're operating in right now? Oh man, I'd hate to say that anyone's at fault locally. Um, 
both because we don't know and, and B, it could be a really le- nasty legal dilemma. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, look, I, I think, again, these the, this is one of those things that, you know, the bad guys are always one step ahead of the good guys or can be, you know, and... Um, well, they, they only need to succeed once, don't they, as the, the thing, dilemma. right? It's, when when you're defending... Exactly right. Uh, you know, you can defend 999,999 times at successfully, uh, but it's the one time someone gets someone gets through. I remember um, while I was at Microsoft, actually, um, someone telling me that um, in the United States, so this was a few years ago, and it was certainly before, um, you know, massive um, coordinated DDoS and, and denial of service attacks and other things were, were going on that the um, two most hacked websites um, in the world, or might have been the United States, one or the other, um, I think was the FBI and Microsoft. And, um, and, and the person I was talking to was just saying the stuff that went on behind the scenes at Microsoft just to keep their site, um, you know, secure, um, let alone, you know, from people that are deliberately flooding it with huge numbers of requests and things like that. And I think this is just, this is what the future looks like. This will always be here. I think that's a safe bet. I think, um, you know, um, uh, anti-malware software is getting better to stop PCs being compromised. Network um, switching technologies and, and software is getting better to recognize these things and shut things down. But but it is always the defender's dilemma. That's part of the challenge. Um and, and, of course, this is how the next wars will be fought. In fact, this is how the current war that we're in the middle of right now, we just don't see it as being fought as well. You know, there's um, there are bad actors out there everywhere. Some of them are in it just for the money. Some of them are doing it for political reasons. Some of them might be hacking really large elections happening in large nations not too far from here. Right now, as we speak, um, that is just where we're at. And I think it's just one of those... Um, you know, any day that's a quiet day on the internet is a very good thing. You know, it's a, it's an essential service now. And, um, you know, the, this sort of stuff really worries me. There's some amazing stories out there about some of the stuff that's happened of um, in the States, for example, um, utilities being hacked and probed, um, drone, coordinated drone um, scanning done of um, the power stations and other things. Um, you know, so the, the the potential for technology to inflict quite serious damage in a very, very short space of time is huge. And I think you're just seeing that focused here today. It's just another classic example. Um, I'm sure the post-mortem for this will be fascinating. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the um, NZX will have a lot more money to spend on cybersecurity. Of that, I can guarantee you. Well, that and, and that's exactly what tends to happen, doesn't it? And yeah. look, there's a real challenge for us here in New Zealand as a as a smaller nation. Uh, you know, our stock exchange here, you know, of course, is is a much smaller scale than uh, even the ASX in Australia, and, and certainly when you look to the, the US, that the likes of the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, you know, those those companies can afford to pour so much more into protecting their own networks. And there's a there's a level there as well around uh, you know what uh, the U.S. Uh, you know not companies uh, you know government entities uh, like the FBI can uh, can do in terms of watching you know what's going on to manipulate uh, elections. But you know as again as a smaller country. There, yeah. there's a there's a lot of unknown for us in terms of uh, you know just how you know how and what is being 
manipulated on you know on on that front from a political aspect um, yeah and and just a you know a genuine reality that uh, smaller organizations won't necessarily be able to uh, you know spend as much on on some of these things as their larger counterparts and uh, and hence will maybe get hit a little bit more often now in this case, I do wonder why they haven't been able to mitigate this and exactly what's going on. And you know, I hope we will. Some of that will be uh, will be shared down the track in some form. Certainly not something that you would wish on on any organisation. And look, with the NZX getting hit, that has a flow on to the New Zealand economy, and it's yes. you know it's no good for anybody in New Zealand. But it is the reality. Somebody somewhere is uh, is standing to gain a lot of money if this is successful. And if they don't get the money out of the NZX, which I would be concerned if they did, but we don't know the realities. And, and we, you know, we've heard recently uh, about Garmin, and I yeah, think the, the right. story we heard about Garmin was they they fronted up and paid the money because they uh, they ultimately that was on balance was what they the felt bet. was the smartest smartest thing to do was exactly. you know the lesser of two evils in a in a way but it is hard to get your head around that so look i hope things will simplify and we you know we won't see too many of these things going on in future and we certainly don't want new zealand to be seen as a soft target from uh, from this perspective you know and to see any any increase it's one of those things right it's probably you know the official stance is we don't negotiate with terrorists Unless we really need to negotiate with those terrorists, it's one yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there has been some discussion recently around whether whether it should be made uh, illegal to make payments to them, and whether that would, you know, whether that ah, would okay. st- stop yep. this stuff happening. So that there's a whole sort of discussion down down that track. And yeah, no, it wouldn't. <laughs> I'm, I'm look. I, yeah, I I, I'm I, don't, I don't know that it's it would be as simple as that yeah. because if an organisation is really really stuffed, would the authorities look the other way? Because it's like, look, we would have lost our whole business if we didn't actually front up. What, and what happened was if, yeah. if bad people took Fonterra completely off the air and then charged a ransom of a dollar? Would they let yeah. them pay it? Of course, they'd let them pay it. So then it comes down to how much are you willing to pay people, right? Yeah. It's yeah. a very slippery slope. It, it would never work. And and so it just, it's, you know, um, the price, what is it? The price of freedom is eternal vigilance or whatever it is. It, it's kind of that thing playing out in the cybersecurity space. And it's, it's one of those things where, unfortunately, it takes an incident like this that will cause all sorts of heartache and headaches at NZX to remind 100,000 other businesses in New Zealand that now is a very, very good time to figure out your contingency plans and make sure that you're doing the cybersecurity things you need to do. Don't, you know, there but for the grace of God, um, go you. Now's a wonderful time to figure out how you prevent it happening to you. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, I think well, there's, there's, there's plenty of, uh, you know, stepping up still, still to be done oh, uh, here in New Zealand. Yeah. Now, lastly, I just wanted to mention, I saw uh, news come through this morning, a new gadget from Fitbit. I guess they're on a sort of cycle like, you know, so many technology companies where we expect a, a refresh every uh, every year on, on devices. And so I'll probably get to try one of these things out in the in the weeks ahead. But the Fitbit Sense seems to be their, their new thing. They're calling it an advanced health um, smartwatch. The idea is to, to sense a few more things and to try and get a little bit of a 
a handle on whether the wearer is uh, is getting under an extra load of, of stress. So extra sensors in there and uh, maybe some, some AI that tries to figure out and alert you if you're under, uh, if you're getting under too much pressure. So yeah, just, I you know, I think it, it's fascinating to, to see as we get, you know, new sensors and artificial intelligence sort of a, applied to these wearable gadgets to see them just, you know, nudging along each year and, and improving in their capabilities and starting to to serve different purposes. They've now got the uh, ECG capabilities in there that, that we've seen from, you know, a number of other vendors. Yeah. And the wearable space does, you know, now seem to be becoming, you know, mainstream. Uh, you know, it's, it's getting pretty mature, really. I think um, what I found interesting in the story wasn't so much that, that there was an update to the technology and, and you know, the stuff. I've spoken with a few people in the in the kind of wearable space over the last few years. Um, that roadmap looks absolutely incredible, you know, what they will be building into these devices. I think what's more interesting this for me personally is the fact that Google are acquiring Fitbit. And I think the idea of having, you know, an organisation like Google um, whose, who's, you know, um, business is built on knowing as much about you as is humanly or artificially intelligently knowable, um, knowing um, what's going on in your body um, along with where you are and other things. I think some of the um, the potential for that as, as a business is absolutely incredible for from Google's standpoint, which is why they're looking to pay two and a bit billion, I think, to acquire them. Um, but I think some of the implications of that from a privacy perspective um, could be quite interesting in the longer term. I, I think, um, you know, um, when it comes to getting health insurance and other things like that. You know, Google will probably know more about you than you know about you. They might know about as much about you as maybe your GP knows about you at any given time. Um, yeah, I, I think there's some interesting implications in, in all of this stuff. Um, mind you, I'm the Luddite that still doesn't have an Alexa or something at home because I don't like things listening in, so I won't be sticking one of those on my wrist anytime soon either. But um, but I think the, the technology roadmap for that stuff is incredible, you know, and, and for, you know, for people like... Uh, diabetes sufferers and things like that. I think you know it will be commonplace in a year or two for to have devices on their wrists that monitor blood sugar and tell them what's happening and monitor all the other things to and, and warn if something's about to happen, etc. People that have seizures, epilepsy, things like that. Quite incredible. Yeah, over a, you know a reasonable elapsed period of time, we we go from not having wearable devices to you know wearables that that really deliver some great benefits. But you know, alongside that, I think as a, as a you know world where we're seeing our expectations increase around uh, privacy and and other yeah. areas that you know hopefully means this will balance out quite well. And and obviously there are legislative um, you know aspects to that 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 play in. So you know I'm I'm hopeful we'll see most of the upsides without too many downsides. Yeah. And many of these companies now and and Fitbit are you know a part of it that have premium services that go alongside. So you're not necessarily just buying a a device now you're you're paying for the the Fitbit premium yeah. uh, service and where that happens then you would expect there's not as much need for them to monetize your data because you're you know you're paying for this service so yeah uh, I think we'll, it, we'll land on the in the right place with this but uh, you know I hear, I hear your comments about uh, uh, Google and look it could be uh, worse it could be Facebook acquiring them so you know it's not quite that bad. Um, <laughs> And you're right. You know, hopefully the legislation, etc., will will keep up. But you know, I think it just it just it's it's a good reminder. You know, and I've said this to people for years. 
Fitbit have never been a hardware company. That's just their um, means to an end. They're a data company, and, and what Google are willing to pay $2.1 billion for isn't their capability around hardware, which is obviously still quite spectacular, although every Fitbit I've ever had is broken. Um, <laughs> but it's the data, that, and that's where the value is. And, and I think, again, it just shows that you know those companies that are figuring out how to capture data um, make that a value to the users, but also to potential um, other customers or to um, people that might want to acquire them. That's that's where the gold lies. Yeah, I'd buy shares in them if the NZX wasn't down. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of this episode, uh, Brett. Fantastic catch up, and thank you for all your valuable insights. You know, as always, you uh, you know bring great uh, perspective to what's going on in, in the technology world. It's hugely appreciated. So, yeah, thanks very much. Oh, look, thanks for having me, Paul. I really enjoy it, as always. Good to see you again. And a uh, huge thank you to our show partners, uh, Sumo Logic, Vodafone, Spark, Vocus, HP, Samsung, Gorilla Technology, and a headline partner, Umbrella Connect. So, uh, yeah, thank, thanks to uh, those partners for their support of the podcast and of the tech and innovation ecosystems here in New Zealand. And, of course, our main thank you is to you for listening into the show. So um, thank you, everybody, for uh, for being part of this. And uh, we hope you'll also track us down. We've got a, a YouTube channel going on there, um, although not so much activity during this uh, lockdown period. We're on uh, LinkedIn and a growing, growing presence uh, there across LinkedIn uh, alongside Facebook and Twitter. So, um, yeah, we'll look forward to connecting with you in those places. Feel free to message uh, me, Paul Spain, anytime online or, or through those uh, social channels. Thanks, everyone. Catch you next week on the next episode. See ya. New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.